Good morning. Today is Monday, June 1st, 2020. Hello, summer, and goodbye to a very difficult spring from March through May. It's been a difficult ride. I know that you all join me in hoping that this summer brings us some relief from COVID-19, that the summer brings us some reflection on the state of our nation right now, which is going to be the topic of this Monday morning motivation. Um, I certainly want to talk about the events of the weekend, the protests that in some places turned into riots, those who came in to disturb the peaceful protest, agitators from the outside. I want to talk about uh, the state of where we find ourselves as a people, the eyes of the world upon us, uh, the threat to our national security apparatus that this brings when America is this divided. Um, I want to talk about the President of the United States. I want to talk about a number of things. The topic today is colorblind or color conscious. Colorblind or color conscious. I uh, (laughs) never thought I would be uh, talking about some of my earliest legal training as a young law student um, in uh, constitutional law and going through the casework that they teach us um, from the Supreme Court that really shaped the course of this nation with respect to race. As you know, dating back to 1619, before we were the United States of America, we were a colony of Great Britain and uh, in Virginia, where the nation began, where I live. Uh, it is certainly the birthplace of America. And um, slaves came to these shores on 1619. Uh, we commemorated 400 years last year here in the Commonwealth and around the nation. The 1619 Project is something that I want to encourage every one of my list, black, white, male, female, uh, Asian, Native American, I don't care what your background is, Hispanic, you need to read the 1619 Project. You can go online and read it for free. You can order copies to be delivered to your home. I think it's $5. I want to encourage you to do that and spend some time with your kids and teach them about it. Um... I bring that up to give us context. You know, folks, George Floyd's murder was horrific. I personally believe, as I said on CNN on Saturday night, that it has awakened many of my white neighbors, friends, colleagues who maybe before thought, oh, that has nothing to do with me. I'll just stay out of it. Or, oh, maybe black and brown people over-exaggerate these things. The police are great people. They're nice people, yada, yada. And then I think they saw that video. And... That's not the first kind of video we've had like this. I'm old enough to remember Rodney King. I was just graduating college and starting law school at the time. And I remember uh, the riots. I remember the outcry. I remember how it felt to see those white police officers beat that man almost to death. And they all got off. Um, I don't know what's going to happen here. But fast forward, whether it's Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor... Uh, whether it is Jordan um, and other African-American young men who uh, were doing nothing more than what Ahmoud Arbery was doing jogging uh, or uh, Mr. Uh, Cooper who was bird watching in Central Park and a white woman, Amy Cooper, decides she's going to call the police and get him in trouble uh, for doing nothing, understanding the lethalness of what police can do to us when we're black. And so I want to have a candid conversation this morning. And I'm going to let this podcast uh, play throughout the week. Probably not going to have a Wednesday wisdom because I really want to sit with 
this discussion about colorblind versus color conscious. And the reason I mentioned my legal training is because it comes from one of our earliest cases, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, which is the case that legalized dis, uh, segregation in America, that legalized segregation in America. Haven't had my coffee yet, so if I stumble a little bit, give me a little grace. I wanted to get up and have this be the first thing that I did because I want it to be fresh and raw. I don't want to overanalyze and overthink and get academic about this because this isn't an academic discussion. But this notion of colorblindness, I think, is a great disservice to black people in this country. When our white friends, neighbors, even family, the people that we marry or the families that we marry into when we marry people who are Caucasian and we're black, I've had this happen in my family when my brother married uh, a white woman and I have biracial nieces and I can tell you and I heard it from other friends and colleagues and other family members. It is difficult when you bring into your family people who don't have the cultural sensitivity, the awareness um, and the context to understand how race works. Yes, we can love anybody. You fall in love with who you love, but you got to live together. There's an old saying, if a fish and a bird fall in love, where do they live? And this notion of colorblindness, which is what a lot of people use to give themselves a pass. Oh, I don't see color. Well, shame on you. Because if you don't see my color, you don't see me. I'm invisible. And that's a problem. We all see color. I know I do. We see gender. We see when we walk into a room. I know what it's like as a black woman to be in a room full of all white men who are old enough to be my father or at least a decade or more older than me, some peers, and have them all stare at me. I wrote in my book, The Woman Code, although it was not known that it was me because sometimes authors write and share stories and they don't want to insert themselves. But if you've read The Woman Code, I talk about a young professional woman who uh, is given a, a new job as a uh, uh, in the general counsel's office, a vice president spot, a big company, big government contractor, billions of dollars with the federal government, and uh, goes to her first meeting um, in Newark and meets all the folks in the company. She was the first woman of color to be hired at that company. They had only hired one other black person ever. So... She knew that it was going to be a challenge, but again, uh, when you are black in America and you're professional in particular, and you have these advanced degrees, doctors, medicine, law, engineer, whatever it is, you have to lead a double existence because you've got to be able to be black and keep your, your blackness intact with your family, your community, etc. But then when you go to work, you have to shift and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable and you have to navigate whiteness and you have to navigate white attitudes and you have to navigate uh, white things that are difficult to navigate because you never know when you're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing and upset somebody and offend somebody. And that's a problem. And it's painful and it's difficult and it's frightening, to be honest, because you know if you make an error, it's career ending or limiting. And that's not good. Anyway, I tell this story in The Woman Code how after just uh, that meeting where this young woman who was new and black spoke up at the meeting, made some really good points. And uh, the general counsel who hired her was an uh, older white man mentor and was very pleased by it. Uh, you know, it was great to have her there. Well, 
The feedback, unbeknownst to her, was that they all wanted her fired after uh, her first week there because she dared to speak out at the meeting and they felt she should be silent and be taking notes and listening, not talking. And it really offended those white men and they fired her not long after that. And of course, she got a lawyer and sued them. Uh, It actually never made it to court. It was a settlement, a very big one, because... There was a person at the company who was in HR, who was an African-American woman, who began to give her documents because she had seen this type of racism before and she was appalled by it. And others helped. And long story short, the woman was me. And uh, it was a surreal experience. Um, This happened maybe, geez, what year are we in? We're in 2020. This happened almost 20 years ago. And um, I can tell you that after that experience, I never again went back to a law firm or to corporate America. I made a decision at that point that I would never again subject myself to some foolishness like that ever. And I haven't. I started my own company, San Enterprises LLC. Uh, Actually, before that, it was ALN Consulting. Then I switched over to San Enterprises LLC. And I had a stint in between there before I took this job with Holland and Knight, which is one of the world's big law firms. And that's when I got the opportunity to go and work for this other company. They recruited me. And so the point I bring up is, is that instead of mentoring me and helping me as they would have any young white man or young white woman, they attacked They wanted me gone. They didn't even want me in the room. And if I was in the room, they didn't want me to speak. This is a true story. This is not made up. You should listen to what I'm saying. And this colorblindness doesn't really exist because it's always there. I've seen it at church. I've seen it at social organizations. I've seen it in College settings, corporate settings, industry, nonprofits, you cannot get away from this. The church, let's talk about the church for a moment. It's Monday motivation. And usually I I lift on Mondays. I want to get you positive, but I want to talk today because today is the first day of June. It's summer and we're headed into probably a challenging summer, not just on the health front, but now on the mental health front on the social health front. We're not doing well, America. We're failing right now. And we're failing because we don't know how to see each other. We don't know how to respect each other. We don't know how to embrace each other's differences and not feel threatened and fearful. And instead, police who are sworn to protect and serve, police who are sworn to protect and serve, are instead... Now the poster children for black death in this country. The murder of George Floyd is just one of many that happened in the last three weeks in this country. Breonna Taylor, who I'm working on a piece now in the New York Daily News for, and it'll be up probably today or tomorrow. And then there's Ahmaud Arbery. And there are any number of other cases in just the last year that we didn't really pay any attention to nationally. Ahmaud Arbery got some... uh, attention because he was jogging and was killed by a father-son vigilante team of redneck racists in Georgia. 
And I'm angry this morning. I'm angry like the protesters. I'm angry. Riot, Dr. King said, is the language of the unheard. Riot is the language of the unheard. Those of you who are angry about the riots and upset about the riots and, oh, what's wrong with these people? You need to check yourself because you need to be more upset about the cop that killed that man. You need to be more upset about the fact that people like me are hardworking. We play by the rules. We do what's right in this country. And we got to take 10 loads of shit for it all the time. And I can just say to you that uh, I'm tired. We're all tired. And you have no idea what racism cost us. Uh, in terms of like what happened to me with a good job that I would have excelled in and done right, but the racists in the room don't even want to see me. And if they got to see me, they don't want me to talk. They want me removed. And they'd rather pay out a couple hundred thousand dollars in a settlement. Do you know that in this country every year, 64 million to $100 million or more is paid out in settlements to quietly get rid of racial lawsuits and gender discrimination lawsuits and age discrimination lawsuits. And I'm probably giving you a conservative figure, okay? And I'm bringing this up because I want you to know, my white friends, I need you to know, my white listeners, that this is not new for black people. We deal with this crap every day. It might not be a knee to our neck, but it's a need to our dignity. It's a need to our hope. It's a need to our survival. It's a need to our finances. It's a need to our education. We have to put up with the crap. Life is hard enough every day without, without this on top of it, having to fear the police. I got pulled over here in Virginia, probably about six months ago. I was taking my mom to physical therapy. She's had vertigo now for about seven months. And I made a U-turn on my way to get her, not seeing the sign, which sometimes happen, and I made a U-turn. And there happened to be a policeman. And in my car, I had one of my guns because I had been to the gun range uh, earlier that week. And I hadn't taken it out the car yet. So anyway, I make the U-turn, I flip around. And I hear the sirens and my heart sinks for two reasons. One, because I'm like, oh God, I'm getting stopped by the police. And what did I do? I don't understand what I've done. A, B, I know I have a gun in the car. And I pull over, of course, the officer's walking up. I make sure I roll my window all the way down. My hands are at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. I've already got my driver's license and my registration above the fold on the uh, visor above me, which I recommend everybody do so you don't have to reach for uh, your identification. And this is something we're taught as black teenagers the moment we can drive. Girls get the talk too, by the way. It's not just black boys, it's black girls too. I got the talk from both of my parents when they let me have a car. Anyway, it pulls me over and I immediately being who I am in the world, what I do, I want to diffuse any problem. So I'm good morning, officer. How are you today? And he says, good morning. And I said, officer, what did I do? And he's, uh, you flipped the U-turn. He's like, I'm not going to give you a ticket. He's like, but you know, give me your registration or anything. And he said, you know, I, I got to stop you. He said, this happens all the time. And so we're having a dialogue and I say, officer, listen, I have an obligation in Virginia here to tell you that I have a weapon in the car. And he looks at me and he says, well, where's the weapon? I said, it's in the back 
Um, it's in its case properly. It is completely, it's unloaded. Uh, the bullets are in a side cartridge. And I was like, do, what would you like me to do? Do you want me to pop the trunk so you can get it? Do you want to get it? Uh, do you want me to get out the car? What do you want me to do? I will do whatever you want me to do. And he said, no, that's not necessary. He said, I see your SEG tag on the back of your car. So I knew you were a gun owner, Silver Eagle Group, which is where I go to shoot my weapon and train. And we ended up having this dialogue and I said to him and he said, you look afraid. And he said, you don't have to be afraid. And I kind of breathed a sigh of relief. And then we just kind of had a human moment where I said, isn't it awful that I, I would even be afraid? And he's like, it is. He said, but I get it. And he said, I just want you uh, to have a good day. He's like, uh, just, you know, be careful with the U-turns. And we just start talking about guns and we start talking about a lot of stuff. And it ended up being a really nice conversation. Um, I know that that's not everybody's experience. I know that I live in the wealthy suburbs of Northern Virginia. I know that all of that, but none of that really matters. I could have had a different policeman that day with a different attitude. And nothing I could have done would have been right that day. I was blessed and I was terrified. And again, I want you to understand this is day to day. This is real. And so when you're thinking about the rioting in the streets, and yes, there has been rioting and none of us agrees with that. I certainly don't. I agree with protests, but I understand why people are angry. Not the people that are coming in to agitate. They're not about the agenda of doing something and fixing something. They're about discord and destabilization of the United States, which is something that we've got to be very alert and sober to. So I want to just talk to you a little bit today about this color blindness and this color consciousness. You want to be color conscious. You want to be color conscious because you don't want unconscious bias to slip in. And again, one of the most egregious places where I've seen racism thrive and, 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 and subtle prejudice thrive is in the church. The church is the most segregated place in America on Sunday mornings. I happen to go to a church that's more diverse than most. The pastor's white, his wife, the co-pastor's white, and they have probably about 30% of the churches of color, black, Hispanic, other Africans, others from other nations. Um, and I think that Pastor Whitlow does a good job of trying to be a man who's woke, conscious. He reads all the time. He's not afraid to talk about it. He's not afraid to deal with it. Uh, but it's a challenge because the obvious things like what happened to Mr. Floyd are obvious. That's something that outrages all of us. It angers all of us. I've seen neighbors and people who never talk about race be very upset about this. They are offended. They're appalled. They're like, is this what black people deal with today? Yes. Yes, yes. And so I know that when my pastor has tried to talk about it, he's gotten some nasty notes from people, white, who don't like him talking about it. Um, and that's awful because that's the kind of stuff that stifles us from moving forward and being better. I want to encourage us today to be color conscious. I want to encourage us to talk to our children, our nieces and our nephews. I want to encourage us to have these dialogues in our places of worship, in our workplaces, not just diversity and inclusion training that last two days and nobody wants to be there and it doesn't make a world of change. Engage, have conversations, redefine, redefine the way 
we discuss who we are, how we live, what our differences are, how we respect and not fear and get beyond stereotypes. As I said in my award-winning book, Black Woman Redefined, which turned, by the way, nine years old uh, this May 28th, um, and it's still a bestseller, sold out. Uh, We're thinking about doing an update soon, maybe, because it's relevant now. Black Woman Redefined. Why would I want to redefine black women? Well, I'm glad you asked, because obviously... Like the day I went to my new job and went to training with all my qualifications, all I brought, all those fools saw was my race and they didn't like that I spoke and they didn't like that I was in their room and they wanted me out and they got me out. And that's sad because they didn't see me as a daughter. They didn't see me as a sister. They didn't see me like they see white women or white men. They didn't see me someone to be mentored and to heard, to, to be heard. They only saw me as someone who was in their space. And yeah, I got paid well, but guess what? I lost a great job opportunity and it turned me off so bad. I never went back and never will go back to the private sector again. I get job offers all the time, as you can imagine. I'm a black woman who's got best-selling books under her belt, diversity trainer, award-winning, I'm credentialed, I'm on television I get offers all the time with stupid money and I turn them down because I can't put up with the unmitigated bullshit that I have to put up with as a black woman in this country. And I'm talking raw in ways you guys haven't heard me talk because I want you to hear me. I want you to hear that race matters in America still and stop lying to yourself that it doesn't stop lying to yourself that somehow white people are now discriminated against and you're the victim. You're not. That's not true. Every economic indicator, every social indicator we have, black people and brown people are at the bottom and they're going to stay there. I saw one report from Forbes that it would take 230 years for black people alone to catch up economically. The wealth gap is huge. Folks, you can't have 250, 60 years of legal slavery, 100 years of legal segregation, And then in the 1960s, finally get your voting rights and your civil rights. I was born in 1967. Thurgood Marshall was named a Supreme Court justice that year. The riots, cities were burning. It was a time of turmoil, just like now. We're not going to fix 400 years almost of oppression in 50. Yeah, we had a black president. So what? Obviously, it didn't mean a whole lot. We are not living in a post-racial America. That's false. It's not true. Stop it. So my message to you today is this. You need to go through this life color conscious. Be aware that people have it different than you. Be aware that my experiences are not the same as yours. I may have better credentials. I can tell you again, economically, in a time where we've got 40 million people unemployed, 20.5 million jobs gone in two months, worse than the Great Depression ever was, Most of that's disproportionately female, black, and brown. Female, black, and brown. You see, you can't win in this game. So have a little grace. Have a little compassion. Have a little respect. Have a little 
insight of how you're treating people and how you're excluding people. Your clicks. I hate clicks. Again, I see them all the time. See them in the workplace. See them in companies that I go into. I see them in the church. People hang out with who they're comfortable with. You get your one token black friend that you like that makes you feel comfortable. And that's the one you hang out with. Stop it. Do better. Be better. Give our kids something better to look at. Stop classifying somebody that makes you uncomfortable as, uh, oh, that person's too outspoken or that person's this. Stop labeling people. Let people live. Let them breathe. Let people be people. Let them be them. Not, it ain't all about you, boo. And that's what these terms that I don't like, like Becky's and Karen's is all about. White female privilege exists. I always like to say black women have the double burden of both race and gender. Black men are men, giving them the male card. White women are white, giving them the white card. Black women are both black and female, the two lowest things you can be in America. I'm going to wrap this by saying that I suspect Vice President Biden will choose a black woman as his running mate. And I suspect it will be Val Demings, the congresswoman from Florida, former Orlando police chief. I would have bet it would be Kamala Harris, the senator from California. And I think probably she was the favorite. But as I look at the map, as I look at the geography, as I look at the demographics and I look at the state of my country right now. Joe Biden needs a black woman from the South who has led in the area of law enforcement. She was one of the impeachment managers. She's well-spoken. She's smart. She's attractive. She has a husband who's a mayor of a major city in Florida. She's got three black sons, um, raised them to be fine young men. She's probably going to be the pick. I don't think I missed this one, but we'll see. I bring that up to say that I'm proud of my sisters out there. Mayor Keisha, Lance Bottoms, my sister, my friend, you are killing it. You're doing great. You have led, uh, you've walked that fine line we all have to, and you're doing it well. Uh, To uh, mayors all over the country, Chicago's Mayor Lightfoot and others, black women, I am proud of you because we're finally, and if Shirley Chisholm's looking down right now, she's proud of us because she opened the door. She fought. Uh, alongside white women allies like Gloria Steinem and others. And again, this isn't about your politics right now. This is about your country. And these women open doors for young women like I used to be. Now I have to open doors for young women, both white and black. And Latina and Native American and Asian American. It's a sisterhood. But again... We're not going to get out of this mess overnight. We've been here too many times before. And it keeps happening because we don't fix it. You know, James Baldwin once said, you got to face it to fix it. America, it's time for you to face the fact that we have a racist past. If you didn't watch Grant on the History Channel over the past week, it was outstanding. Watch it with your kids. It's a three-night miniseries on the life of General Ulysses S. Grant, who was president after Lincoln was killed and after Johnson was run out of office, Lincoln's vice president. 
ran reconstruction, fought the Klan until the Klan resurged under Woodrow Wilson's presidency in the early 1900s. There's history here about this. This is not new. Those police officers who watched that other officer kill that man, they deserve to be charged with at least manslaughter. And his charge ought to be murder one, not murder three. He had intent. He kept his knee on that man's neck, we know now, for over almost nine minutes when the man said he couldn't breathe. This wasn't a violent felon we were looking for. This was somebody who was alleged to have written a bad check. Who among us hasn't bounced a check? I know I have, not intentionally, but luckily the bank can get its money and they charge you a fee and life goes on. Now the cops can kill me for a bounced check? When Dylan Roof goes into a church and kills nine black people dead and they give him a flak jacket and Burger King, wake up, America. That's disgusting. When that young man from the University of Connecticut was killing people on a spree when they caught him in Maryland, there are images of them having him in handcuffs and they're giving him water. Why is it that white men, when they kill, White people who have arms and are protesting in Michigan and other places here in Virginia with their guns and masks on their face. Nobody gets killed. Nobody gets tear gassed. Nobody gets shot with rubber bullets. Why is that? Ask yourself the hard questions and then do something about it. Do something different. Be different. Be color conscious, not color blind. I'm going to wind this down because I feel some kind of way today. But my message to you today is don't just sit home and watch the TV. Don't say how bad it is. Don't point your finger at the rioters and call them names. Say, oh, they're out of order. The president has failed to lead. He failed. He's hiding in a bunker in the White House. No president in our history has ever done anything like this. No president gets on Twitter and talks about vicious dogs being sicked on people and, 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 and weapons of destruction sicked on the people and when the looting starts the shooting starts quoting a a white racist named George Wallace you know who that is if you don't look it up that's not what presidents do and to those of you evangelicals out there and again I'm talking to my white brothers who have made excuse after excuse for this man and call yourself a child of God and look the other way shame on you you better check your faith you better get a deep check Because that's not what Christ stands for. That's not who he was. And I would like to believe if Jesus were here himself, he'd be with the protesters. He wouldn't be in riots. And he'd be up standing on top of a car, giving us a Sermon on the Mount, part two. And he'd be telling us about ourselves. And he'd tell us that we better get it together. And he'd talk about injustice. And he'd talk about racism. And he wouldn't stand for it. Because that's not who he was. He would give you uncomfortable truth. Because that's who he was. The whole gospel is uncomfortable truth about who we are as human beings, the condition of our sinful selves and how to get beyond it. He gives us a prescription, a way forward. So I'm asking you today to find a prescription, do something, say something, be about something that unifies your church, your community, your people, your neighborhood. Take action. This is your country. You love it like I do. We don't want it like this. When we're like this, we're vulnerable to attack from an enemy. When we're in this kind of disarray and discord, the Russians, the Chinese, and the whoever are watching us. And they're saying, if they can't handle this, they won't be able to handle what we can put on them. So let's pull it together, folks. 
Let's pull it together. Remember our founding motto, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Let's get it together. Let's have the courageous conversations. And let's move this country to a better place. God bless you and God keep you. And God bless the United States of America.